Today, I want to talk about some of the contrasts that I find in India, or perhaps more specifically, the fact that not all of India is incredibly intense all the time. And I've heard that the South is a kind of a different country, a very different culture. I haven't yet been there. Maybe I will. But for the time being, I want to talk about the pockets of space, the gems within India that are very special, that are very peaceful, quiet, but also full, uh, full of heritage, full of history, full of a former time. And that takes me to Mashidabad, which is where I cycled with Nikesh, Sunni and Gotam over five days from Patna. It took us five days to get there. And Mashidabad was a place that I was really recommended to visit by Sam Dorimple. Um, he's writing a book on India right now about the partition. He's a son of author William Dorimple, his work I really admire and hope in some aspects to emulate if I am, if I work hard enough and do enough redrafts. So we arrive at Mashidabad on the uh, strong advice of Sam that it is well worth visiting. And he puts me in contact with uh, a guy called Darshan. And Sam tells me he's got a really nice house. It's a sort of hotel. It would be great if I could visit. And I kind of put off contacting Darshan. It seems like we're sort of too busy. I don't know where we're going to be, when we're going to arrive. And it just seems like a bit of a hassle. So I put off contacting Darshan until we arrive in Mashidabad. And the first evening we spend in a fine but very basic hotel on the outskirts. Yeah, nothing nothing wrong with it at all. It's clean. Uh, there's hot water. You sort of shower yourself from a bucket. And it had a nice uh, sort of veranda uh, or sort of balcony, which is quite unusual. So I remember the first morning in Mashidabad just enjoying looking out over the countryside, which is actually very misty that first morning. But I do send Darshan a message when I get to Mashidabad that evening and he immediately responds saying, oh, you should come over, uh, stay at our place and it'll be really wonderful to have you. So the next morning we up sticks and we go a further 10 kilometers up the road to Barikoti, which is the place of this story, which is the gem of India in my eyes, at least so far. To get to Barikoti, we have to cross the Ganges, and that was an experience. We had to take a ferry. There are no bridges, so we took a ferry across, and the ferry is this sort of double-hulled thing with um, bamboo canes, thick bamboo canes, running across this double hull, these two hulls bodged together. And then the motor, no, the, 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 the rudder is controlled by another bamboo stick and the throttle is pulled from a string. So it's this wonderfully, seemingly ramshackle contraption, which actually works very well. And the pilot is very skilled and they 
even with the current, they managed to sort of make the boat line up by centimeters at either end as they're sort of driving into the the jetty. And it's surprisingly ordered as well because onto this raft, essentially, pile people, like pedestrians, motorcyclists, cyclists, the occasional car, and there's actually not that much of pushing or shoving. And it is indicative in my mind of West Bengal in general, that people are a bit more reserved, they're a bit more quiet, they're a bit more calm, fewer people come and ask me questions, which uh, I, I quite like, I have to confess. We crossed the Ganges River and we arrived at Barikoti. When we arrived, the first thing is we stepped through the threshold of this this house, which is off, it's on a narrow street. Think of a bit like a Riyadh in Marrakesh that is not too much going on on the outside. And we step through the entranceway and we see uh, probably about 10 staff in red sort of saris and they put a dauber, a little bit of the red paint on our um, foreheads and we're immediately ushered in and we're given some uh, like lime juice and sat down and Lipika, Lipika, who is the brother of Darshan, Darshan and Lipika own this property and it's been in their family for generations. And as we sat down, Lipika showed us, you know, gestured up to the wall and showed us a painting and said, this is my great, 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 great grandfather. And it's this man who has this flamboyant moustache a kind of turban, like a flat turban, almost like a cap on his head. And we were told he was a bit of a bon viveur and he was a money changer. who had come over from Rajasthan, so right in the west of India, had come over to Bengal, come over to Mashidabad uh, to be a money changer. And he was Jain by religion, uh, which means that so they're very careful about uh, not killing anything so they uh, won't they're vegetarian but they won't even eat potatoes or onions because the bugs or the worms in the ground might get harmed in the uh, harvesting of the potatoes and indeed they won't eat at night if you're a strict jane uh, you won't eat at night because you can't see what you're eating properly so you don't want to accidentally swallow a fly it's it's that kind of religion uh, as it's um you know as it's uh, practiced in its sort of most uh, stringent manner but they they're much more relaxed much much more relaxed that's their sort of heritage and they're called shehwalis and shaher means city so it's a sort of city dweller uh, and that was their name these money chain money lenders had come from rajasthan to Bengal, to Mishidabad, and Mishidabad was this place of incredible wealth. At the sort of 1700s, the 1800s, it was estimated that around about 5% of the world's entire GDP came from Bengal, came from this region. And that in the square mile of Mishidabad, where we were, Formerly, there was more wealth in that square mile than in the entire British aristocracy. I find that extraordinary. The amount of wealth that was in this area. 
And this property was was quite something. But actually, until recently, it had not been very much at all. It had been allowed to decay and deteriorate. And I saw photos of uh, basically mounds of rubble everywhere and broken pillars and gutted ceilings and floors that were broken and in a very sorry state. But over the last six years, or it took six years for Lipica and Darshan to renovate Barricotti, their family mansion. And it is a place that lives and breathes history. So you, you walk through and there are these multiple courtyards that are all interconnected with bits that are sort of shaded, where there are chaise longs, there are uh, reclining chairs, and there are these black and white tiles that cover the floors everywhere. And there's a mango tree in the centre of one courtyard. There's a fountain in the centre of another. There's um, a... Um, I can't even remember. Well, there's probably something in the centre of another courtyard. Uh, I think it's, yeah, a nice sort of, sort of swinging chair. And it's, it's, it, there's one, one side of it has got Roman columns. One story up, there's Roman columns and a sort of Parthenon-like roof or a temple-like roof to this uh, side. So it's got these crazy different contrasting cultures, a bit of sort of faux, faux Roman, a bit of, uh, it feels quite Islamic, Mughal, um, and it, this is all together under one, in one property. And there was one area which I particularly liked, which there were these sort of wooden arching columns and these uh, sofas, reclining sofas with cushions on them that you can imagine that the Nawabs of yesteryear reclining on this sort of uh, cylindrical cushion. And this is where the money changing happened. And people would come and uh, sort of the money lending would happen and people would come from the, the village and the surrounding countryside. And the great, 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 great grandfather of Lipica and Darshan would give money and uh, overall make a lot of money. What was very cool is that raised up by about two meters on one of the sides were a set of windows, latticed windows. And this is where the woman would watch the dealings and Back at that time, purda was practiced. And purda is the practice of keeping your women separate from your men that only the family would see and meet the woman. And so outsiders, strangers would never see the woman in the household. But the woman from behind these lattices would watch the proceedings and watch the money changing and later sort of share their thoughts with their husbands. And what I like most of all is that they'd kept this, they'd kept the history. And that is what kind of sums up this place to me, is it was a place where history lived. It felt very present. And that was through you know, keeping details like these Perda partition screens. It was the flooring, the black and the white tiles. It was in the photographs that were on every, basically every patch of wall had a family photograph and there's one particularly nice one of these two brothers. And this was perhaps 100 years ago. These two brothers, part of the family, and they were so, so close. And in fact, we were told that one of them, before one of them started 
speaking to tell the other one to do something, they would have already done it. Now, on the, the first floor, there's a bridge that's connecting two parts of this house. And the whole thing is about an acre and a half in total. So it's enormous. And there are 60 staff in this place. There are about uh, 15 guest rooms. It's this really quite extraordinary, extraordinarily big and preserved place. But there's this bridge that connects two, two of these parts, two of these courtyards and sections of the house. And it was said when the brothers fell out over something, the bridge cracked and fell apart. And so you've got these stories that are literally coming out of the walls. And then in my room itself, there was a Bengali style bed, which is raised up by about three quarters of a meter with a step that takes you up there. And in the room, there were trunks, trunks from the family which uh, used to contain documents and stuff, and I was able to put my clothes in. So it was a place that really, um, basically, all that stuff that you leave and like ha- leave hanging around in your attic, they kind of got it out the attic and they'd made it part of the place in a way that made you feel that just by existing, you were soaking up knowledge and history. And so it was a very, very special place. And in the mornings from my window, I'd watch the Ganges just languorously move past. And so it's been one of the few places that I felt in India that I can just be and exist and take a break. And it doesn't demand anything from you. And yet there is so much richness to offer. So it's a very special place. I do hope to go back. I would incredibly highly recommend anyone who's listening, who wants to go to India to spend some time in Mashidabad, see the Palace of a Thousand Doors, hear more about the history of the, the Britishers, as they're called, and the parts that seem like a Venice, a Venice of Bengal. So anyway, that's, that's it from me, a pocket of calm, a gem in the crown of India, And next time, I'm going to tell you a story about my journey from Mashidabad to Kolkata, which wasn't quite as restful. (laughs) 